With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty. Thank you very much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Millen. We have a fantastic show for you today. We've got poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Pateski. He is going to be talking all about basic first aid and your chickens. And uh, we haven't really touched base uh, before the show, so I'm not sure what route he's going to take or uh, how in-depth he's going to be. Um, I do want to make very clear, though, uh, after doing this show for 12 long years with all of these experts uh, in their field from all over the country, uh, I do want to say, first off, that you really need to do your due diligence to try to find veterinarian care, uh, uh, vet care in your area or outside of your area to have kind of a backup plan. Um, in fact, Dr. Poultry Veterinarian Dr. Jessica Fox did a great article in the, I believe it was the winter issue, and it was called Calling Backyard Chicken Doctor, Calling Backyard Chicken Doctor, and it was all about the many reasons why it's really not warranted to do things like surgery on your birds and how it can be very inhumane. All the backyard folks are always kind of like to throw that word around. Oh, that's inhumane. Um, and, and doing say bumblefoot surgery without anesthesia and without proper knowledge could maybe fall into that category, according to Dr. Fox. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things we'll use these terms to, uh, meet our agenda, but if it doesn't fall into, oh, well, this this will be all right because I'm doing it now. Um, and, and so we want to make very clear <laughs> that probably in most cases, 
Uh, but I'm sure Dr. Potesky will share some things that uh, we can do very comfortably. And maybe you have that fine line there. It says, you know, at this point, you probably want to consult a veterinarian uh, for proper care. And so um, I wanted to make that very clear at the beginning of the show. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people just say that they'll cop out and say, well, my vet doesn't take care of chickens. And then they ended at that, and we've done countless articles in the magazine, countless shows on podcasts, um, and we've shared tons of information about kind of routes you can take to get that proper care. Just because your vet that you work with with your dog or cats doesn't see chickens, why did you stop there? Why didn't you look at other vets in your town? Hey, you know what? What about the next town over? You know what? What about the local university uh, that maybe have a poultry science department? Hey, what about your local county extension agent that can get you in touch with a poultry extension specialist? Oh, you know, what about the Department of agriculture what about so instead of just oh my that doesn't take care of chickens it's kind of a cop-out you know do a little bit more research uh, is a two-hour drive unreasonable to get to a vet that will take care of your chickens so hopefully today um, uh, Dr. Potesky will get into again basicins and I'm sure because <laughs> it would be a short show uh, and I've been working with him long enough to know that his answer is probably just not going to be hey you need to consult the vet thanks for tuning in today we'll see you later um, but uh, hopefully and I'm sure he will because <laughs> I know him personally um, it will be you know at this point this is something that will probably uh, require veterinary care or this if you try this on your own probably falls into that and humane category that we like to throw around unless it applies to me because I'm doing it in my backyard because I can't afford a vet or I just my 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 uh, my vet doesn't see chickens. So it's not inhumane because I, I can do it. But you'll use that word a lot and throw it around a lot because you see something else in the commercial poultry industry. So uh, just keeping it real here, folks. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's lots of ways to find proper care for your chickens. But today, first aid for chickens, there's hopefully uh, some things in here that we're going to be able to do for our birds uh, because, you know, they're little rascals and they like to get into things. They like to eat crazy things. They may get a predator attack where you might have some uh, punctures from the teeth of said predator. Uh, you might have some uh, a flap of skin folded back. You might have a patch of missing feathers. You might have an injured leg. Those are the things that we'll be talking about in today's show. I'm going to go to commercial break so you can get a pen and paper to jot all these notes down from Dr. Potesky. And when we come back, we will definitely get started with basic first aid for chickens right here on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. 
chickens across the country are flocking to grubbits. These natural oven-dried black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15 percent of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon. G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, thank you very much for staying with us today, and hopefully you got that pen and paper to be able to take notes. I'm also going to throw this out there. Um, uh, if you're new to Blog Talk Radio, I don't open it very often for these shows, but I was in the uh, um, switchboard a little earlier today, and I went ahead and opened up the chat. So if you clicked on that link we've shared across the uh, social media gamut, uh, then um, and you're listening on the Blog Talk Radio page, you can scroll down a little bit, and you'll see uh, probably a button that says Open Chat, uh, and you can come in and post any questions you have for Dr. Poteski in the chat room. Uh, also, you can post them. Feel free. I've made a couple of posts today already on my Chicken Whisperer Facebook page, as may be how you heard about the show. Um, you can post your questions there, too. I'll be monitoring that uh, during the show. Or you can call in if you like and uh, ask your questions specifically to uh, Maurice. It's um, 347-637-3237. Again, that call-in number is 347-637-3237. We have uh, 50 available phone lines, and so you'll be able to call in, and uh, and we'll ask your question uh, directly. So let's, without further ado, let's get over here and we will bring on uh, poultry veterinarian Dr. Maurice Poteski out at UC Davis on live right now. Thank you, Maurice, for joining us today. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me again. Good to be back. Yeah. Good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Always good to have you on. And um, and and basic first aid. And I and I'm used, I think, uh, basic in there because if it's anything more than basic, we probably want to reach out and get some veterinary care. You heard my little. Uh, um, uh, soapbox a little bit earlier because we see it a lot, but I mean, we're no stranger to this. We understand that it's just a plain and simple fact. People have a hard time paying for vet care for a $2 chicken they bought at Tractor Supply. They, you know, they have a hard time. Maybe the mentality is of paying for vet care for an animal that most people buy at the grocery store and eat. So whatever their reasoning is, or, you know, maybe it's, oh, my vet doesn't take care of chickens, but they haven't looked any further than that. Um, you know, we'll kind of start off with, with that. I wanted to make it very clear that, um, you know, a lot of things probably do involve veterinary care, 
when it comes to first aid and to go ahead and take the time to seek out that care before it happens because then you're already kind of stressed out and panicked and need that care. And and we all know because, you know, we're in the business and have been for years that maybe really you do live in an area where there's just not any veterinary care, nobody trained to or even wanting to accept care of chickens. We know that because we do the show now for 12 years and, and we're in the business. So we get it. So just, you know, saying that um, uh, we, we get it. So but there'll be some times and maybe some questions today where the answer is going to be, hey, that that's going to involve some some. Uh, advanced veterinary care and that's what i recommend you to do uh short answer so um but thanks for coming on and i have no idea where you're going to take this today so i've got my pen and paper available just like everybody else uh to see what 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 you have in store for us well i don't know where it's going either so we'll we'll just uh <laughs> see where, where where we end up but um yeah no that's an important topic um and i, I wanted to mention a couple things just from from what you while you were talking about you know, the struggles that, that people have with finding a poultry veterinarian, uh, completely appreciate that, completely understand that. Um, but there are some resources. So I did want to kind of just very quickly mention them. Obviously, I'm in California, but um, if you call me from any other state, it's not like I'm going to hang up on you. So um, you can always, you know, call and email me, and, and I always uh, point people in the right direction. Uh, if, if I can help, I'll help them. If someone else can help, I, I don't know anyone else that's going to hang up on you either if, if, you're, uh, if you're not from, from California. So if you do go on to our, our website, ucanr.edu forward slash site forward slash poultry, um, and I can send that link to you, Andy, and you can send it out Great. to folks. But um, but we do have a resources page, and on that resources page, we do have a flow diagram that talks about, like, who can help out if you have a question on, uh, let's say, uh, ectoparasites, or you have a question on behavior or common diseases or uh, disposal. Um, so we do have those resources there, and that's throughout the entire University of California system that we have some some really good people that are very knowledgeable um, that that will respond. Um, I know personally via via email or or, or phone calls. Um, so um, you feel free to to utilize that. You know, in in theory, that, that should be that should be available to anyone because um, our our goals are all the same here. We want we want our our birds to be uh, happy and healthy and and all those good things. The other thing I'd point out when you're finding an individual veterinarian, obviously that's a little more difficult. Uh, but um, there are a couple places. So if you're in California on our website, we do have a list of private veterinarians who self-identify as treating backyard poultry. So in California, we have 50-some counties. So now we have probably about 50 or 60 self-identifying private veterinarians from about 20, I would say 25 counties in California. Um, so, so that list is hopefully um, pretty useful for folks, at least in California. If you are not in California, um, you can go on to the Association of Avian Veterinarians. Um, and, you know, those are more folks that are trained to treat, you know, parrots and, and, and other types of birds. But birds, there's more similarities and differences. Birds are birds. Um, so if you go onto that website, you can also find, you know, kind of experts um, who, who are board certified in avian medicine. Um, and then the other thing I would recommend, you know, for those of you that are venturing into some commercial poultry production, 
Um, the, there is the American College of Poultry Veterinarians um, link that we also have. So those are people that are board certified in um, poultry medicine. Um, so uh, those are more of the commercial vets, but, but, but depending on, on who's listening and what your needs are, um, there are resources out there for you. Um, it's, it's just, it takes, it's a little harder. We're working on that. We're actually just publishing a paper right now. We're just about to submit it on third year veterinary students across the country. And, um, one of the interesting results that we found is most small animal vets do want to learn, do want to practice, um, and treat, uh, uh, backyard poultry. Um, so there, there definitely is a demand for it. I, I think the unfortunate part is that there's just not a lot of supply over the last 20, 30 years of veterinary schools that are not in poultry-centric areas, i.e. the southeast of the United States, um, have kind of lost a lot of their poultry resource. So Davis, we're lucky. We have some poultry resources, uh, faculty that, that, that teach and work with students. Um, but the, the real meccas are in the southeast. And, and unfortunately, um, some of the other schools just kind of lost those resources in, in part because there, was, there, was, there wasn't as much research on commercial poultry to do in uh, those parts of the country. So even though their resources would be great as teachers and as instructors of the veterinary students, um, the decision was kind of slowly made over time to kind of abandon those, those faculty members and replace those positions with, with non-poultry positions. And, and we're kind of in this pickle now where we've got a lot of backyard poultry across the country and, and not a lot of, of uh, clinicians and faculty that could even teach students uh, backyard poultry. And, and I think, you know, hopefully this publication and other publications, they're starting to become kind of a, an understanding that, that that needs to be addressed, that we can't just um, kind of keep churning out dog and cat veterinarians without um, providing them some expertise, some knowledge in how to treat backyard poultry. So there are resources what I want to point out, and, and I think they're, they're you know, sh turning that ship around in some parts of the country is going to take some time, but I think there's at least a recognition that that needs to be addressed right now. Um, yeah, that's, so that's, that's good. To people. That's good news. That and, and and obviously the even the current dog and cat vets that are already out there and have a practice see over the last decade of this just explosion of people within driving distance of their um, of their um, office. Uh, with how many people out there that that have the chickens? So uh, you know, it's if. Um, obviously a revenue stream for the possible revenue stream for them if they open up their practice to see some of those as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. I, I think there's, there's definitely a niche there and, and hopefully, you know, over the next decade that there, there'll be more and more people to, to address that. So I, I would say find a vet and, and at least just have that on, you know, that link in your, in your bookmark um, bar on, on your, on your, on your computer, whatever it be, um, doesn't mean you always are going to even need that vet, but, but just to have it there, or at least have, you know, some contact information like I just provided you, um, that's, that's gold right there. And, and a lot of people don't have that. And then inevitably disaster happens. And, and that's when people start panicking and, and not really uh, know, uh, they don't really know exactly what to do. That being said, I, I do want to point out you, you don't always have to, you know, be a, a poultry veterinarian or a veterinarian in general just to, just to do some simple 
um, medicine, on treatment, first aid, on 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 backyard chickens. So mm-hmm. um, it, it, there is kind of that fine line there, and the trick is knowing you know what you can do and what you can't do. Um, so um, that comes obviously with experience. If there is heavy bleeding. Uh, puncture wounds. Um, you have a, um, a a chicken that is um, especially a laying hen that has um, that 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 that's not that has an egg that's that's egg bound or stuck. Um, those are emergencies, and um, those are those are things you you really need to ideally um, see a, um, a a a a poultry vet on, or at least a small animal vet who knows uh, something about how to treat um, chickens. Now, chickens are food animals. Whether you're going to eat them or never eat them at all, it doesn't matter. And the rules are, are much more stringent when it comes to using um, antibiotics and other drugs, pain medications, for example, in uh, chickens than they are in dogs and cats. So there are, there are really strict limitations. Um, I, I, verily, I, I, I completely believe in those limitations um, because – for example, in California, we, we had so many wildfires this last year. We had so many chickens that were abandoned, and no one knows, you know, what those chickens were, were fed or not fed. And this idea that, well, I'm never going to eat the chicken, so I'm going to give it, um, you know, blue coats, or I'm going to give it, you know, this antibiotic that we don't know what the withdrawal period on um, because I'm never going to eat it. Well, you know, lo and behold, now we have some of these scenarios where we just don't know um, how these birds were treated. And, and it, 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 it makes it a little more challenging. Um, one thing I did want to mention on, on, on blue coach, which is a topical um, antibiotic, just really briefly, and we'll talk about this a little later, because later, I know, Andy, you've had some uh, emails on this, and I've actually recently had uh, several emails. Mm-hmm. So blue yeah. coat is, is actually prohibited in food animals. Um, it's a topical spray um, that, that the active ingredient is uh, gentian violet. Um, and it, it, it cannot be used in, in food animals, in part because we don't know what the withdrawal period is. And the withdrawal period is a fancy way of saying if we give a drug to an animal or a human, um, at what point is that, is that drug no longer in the eggs or meat or milk um, of that animal? And if we don't know that, or the toxicologists who study these things think that it's going to be a um, something that's, 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 that's dangerous, um, then, then it isn't allowed in, in food animal medicine. And just to show you an example, the active ingredient, so that, that, um, that gentian violet, gentian violet is actually coal tar. Um, coal tar, you know, you wouldn't call it coal tar on the, on the bottle, but coal tar has heavy metals in it, um, and heavy metals can, can cause all kinds of problems. Um, so there is a reason, it's, it's not just a silly rule, there is a reason that we don't want these type of things in our food animals. We would be furious if we found out that the you know, large commercial broiler or layer house was using these things, um, and, and then they were selling us eggs and meat and milk um, that had these kind of um, con- potential contaminants in them. Um, so I, I at least would be frustrated if I found out a large commercial facility was using uh, banned substances and then selling the commercial right. product. And, so, it, and like um, I've kind of yeah. alluded to earlier, I kind of alluded to earlier about, you know, do as I say, not as I do type of, you know, is that, you know, so many are saying uh, they'll throw out that, uh, oh, they're using all this antibiotics in the commercial stuff, or I'm only going to buy antibiotic free. 
But lo and behold, their chicken sneezed one time. What antibiotics do I need to pick up a tractor supply to give to them? It's, it's amazing mm-hmm. to me that you, because you see that all the time, they, they just bash maybe the commercial or whatever antibiotic. And I, I, I don't want to do this because I want to do antibiotic free. But but the first sneeze, the first sniffle, the first runny nose, the first really anything. Um, well, what's what what's that? What antibiotic do I need to get? And then they start giving it <laughs> because it's it's good for thee, but not for ye, or something like that. So it's it's interesting how that happens in the backyard, folks, uh, as well. Um, and uh, that that's frustrating some oftentimes because of the re- re- antibiotic resistance this resistance that's going on and things like that. But I've noticed that too, Doctor um, Pateski, about that. You know, it's just still. Not not good for you, but good for me. I'm going to use antibiotics if I have a sniffle. But um, yeah, yep. thanks for pointing and, and, that out. About I, the... Yeah, but I understand the logic. It's it's I I so I used to do emergency medicine a long time ago when I first got out of vet school, and I remember vividly having a few clients where they came in, and I'm like, eh, you're fine, just go home. You know, the dog's fine. And then I remember they came back 24 hours later and, and met with the other doctor and got some antibiotics and it was, you were treating the owner more than you were treating the patient. Right. You know, something that I was told us, something that I was told us in vet school was, you know, they would joke with us. They, they would say, you know, treat the animal really quickly. So when they get better, you can take credit for it. And, and the point is that the, the animal um, immune system um, is pretty remarkable, and, and if they can, for the most part, um, we obviously need to help them, and that's why we have medicine, uh, but for the most part, they can get better on their own, and, and we want to be a little stingy about when we use things like antibiotics and things like that. Um, so I think sometimes we just have a tendency to, to want instant gratification. We want that, um, you know, that panacea, um, and, and we treat antibiotics, you know, in, 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 in a sense like, um, you know, they're going to, they're, they're, they're almost treating us. They're going to make us feel better that we're giving something to our chicken or dog or cat or we're using the spray. But it, ultimately, the stuff I'm going to recommend to you is a little boring. Um, but, but, but for basic first aid, this will save you having to use antibiotics. So, you know, when we do inevitably have, um, you know, kind of cuts and lacerations, um, and, 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 you know, birds play in the dirt and they get all kinds of gunk in there. Um, but the first thing first that you want to do, first of all, is you want to separate any sick birds from healthy birds, especially if there's any blood, because I think as we all know, birds are very attracted mm-hmm. to blood. Um, so we don't want things to get worse. So thinking ahead, having a sick pen kind of um, that you can have a bird or two in um, while they're um, getting better is always a good thing to do. Um, and then uh, once you do that, you know, the, the simplest thing is cleaning and flushing a wound. So um, easier said than done, as, as many of us know, because um, these wounds can get pretty nasty pretty quickly because chickens like to play in dirt and stuff like that. Um, so when you're cleaning, water baths are good. Uh, kind of dilute soapy water is really good. And getting a... I'd say a 12 cc to 25 cc syringe, um, and being able to, um, to to flush out a wound um, with that kind of uh, soapy water, uh, gen- uh, mildly soapy water, or very dilute betadine tinged water. So betadine is also a disinfectant that we use in hospitals a lot. If you use it in a really high concentration, especially in birds. Um, it can be very caustic to the skin and can actually cause necrosis, which is just a fancy way of saying it's going to kill the skin. 
So you want, when you add that drop or two of betadine solution to the water, just make sure it's a very, very, very light tinge of water. If it gets darker and it has that kind of dark amber brownish color, that's when you start running into some problems. Um, but, but flushing out the wound, soaking the wound, all those kind of things, easier said than done because you're working with a chicken, obviously. But having that, you know, 12, 20 um, um, cc syringe where you can create a little pressure to really get some of that dirt out of, uh, of the wound is really, really important. Um, so I, getting good at that, that, that's easier said than done, like I said. And then, you know, my personality is, and, and this is very common, this is probably one of the more common emails I get, is, well, what do I do with the wound? So my personality, I'm a less is more type person. So my preference, and you know, I argue with my, with my wife about this, about our kids, my preference is, like, let's just put nothing on it. Let's just let air and nature kind of do its, do its trick. And then my wife wants to put all kinds of ointments on their ouchies and, and band-aids and these things. The kids love those kind of things because it kind of looks like they have the red badge of courage and all those type of things. Um, but, but my preference, I never win these arguments, but my preference is, is not to use all these ointments. But there are two things you can use. So there's uh, sulfa, sulf, silver sulfadiazine or SSD. Um, or Manuka honey. So sulfur sulfadiazine is an ointment. It is uh, bacteriostatic. So that's a fancy way of saying no more bacteria are going to grow. Um, it's not going to increase the amount of bacteria that are there. Um, so you can put that ointment on, on the ouchie after you've flushed and cleaned it. Remember when you're flushing, the last flush should be just, just straight water. Um, don't make it super hot. Don't make it super cold. Just kind of in the middle. Um, and that 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 ointment. If you want to try to go to that ointment because you're worried about um, you know continued infection and things like that, the SSD is really good. Just don't use the SSD near the eyes because um, it it is kind of uh, it can be damaging to the eyes. Or the manuka honey. Now the manuka honey, like when I talked to the doctors that that did the work. It, it, the only reason Manuka honey is, is kind of highlighted is because that's what the research was done on. I'm not a honey expert. I don't exactly even know what Manuka honey is. Would regular honey work also? Maybe. I don't know if Manuka honey is thicker. I haven't really used it in this application before. The thing I don't like about ointments in general with chickens is that they're messy, and you're going to have to change their dressing daily. So now you've got that ointment on there. You've got a bandage, which we'll talk about next, that goes on there. And now that chicken is is kind of kind of is going to be you know kind of a little brat about you know keeping that that bandage and ointment nice and clean for you. So that can be challenging. And as we all know, you know there's going to be bugs now that love the honey. So I, I'm not sure about the practicality of that from my perspective. Um, the SSD might be a little more practical. The silver sulfadiazine. Uh, um, but but the manuka honey is kind of just an interesting one for people that are that are you know kind of more keen to use kind of natural products, and and maybe they'll have better luck than I than than, than I would anticipate them having. There's nothing wrong with trying, obviously. Um, ideally, you want to change this dressing daily. So now we're going to talk about the bandage that goes on there. I would only suggest using a bandage if you're going to use these ointments, the SSD or the manuka honey, um, on the on the wound itself. Now, the bandages, uh, there's two kind of choices. Whatever you use, you just want something that doesn't stick or adhere. Um, so um, don't use, like, something that's really sticky because now you're making it really painful. 
Um, you're making um, it difficult for some of the tissue to heal, so you just don't want to apply tension when you're, when you're taking it off. The two things that I like, and you can get these at like a CVS or, or regular, you know, um, uh, a pharmacy, are uh, these Tefla pads, T-E-F-L-A, or Tegaderm mm-hmm. pads, uh, T-E-G-A-D-E-R-M. And they're kind of like um, uh, moist, and they, they kind of just go over the wound. And then after that, you would put uh, a loosely wrapped, like, vet wrap. Um, so vet wrap are these is kind of um, – What's the best way to describe it? It's almost like a, a very a thin bandage. It comes in all kinds of cool colors, um, mm-hmm. and that you can wrap around the wood. Now, I had a vet teacher in vet school that considered vet wrap the, 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 the biggest evil of any type of, of veterinary care product. And he worked with cows, and he had all these stories about how uh, vet wrap would just cause disaster, and he would have to um, you know, save cows from, from, from basically killing themselves on vet wrap. So the only thing I'm going to tell you about vet wrap is that people have a tendency to wrap it really tightly, um, and you don't want to do that. So you want the vet wrap to be nice and loose. And then on top of the vet wrap, after you've wrapped the wound um, on on the vet wrap, then you can put a piece of tape um, just to really make sure that that piece of vet wrap doesn't doesn't kind of unwind and, and, and one potential disaster doesn't happen. But people do have a tendency when they use vet wrap and bandages in general, they just like to go nice and tight because it just feels good and it feels like it's not going to go anywhere. But you obviously don't want to, you know, kill your chicken um, just, to, just to have this nice uh, dressing on there. So if you have the patience and time, um, which I am over two on, that, that is kind of the approach <laughs> that you might want to use to kind of treat a wound. Um, that, that, you know, that, but to me, the less is more approach. The cleaning is fundamental. Like that, that's, that's, you mm-hmm. know, that flushing of the wound and the cleaning of the wound and then getting rid of any, any residues of soap and things like that. That's, that's really important The the bandages and the ointments and the blue coat and those type of things. Eh, I, I don't, I mean, first of all, blue coat shouldn't even be an option. But, but I, I see online that, that people do use it. So, you know, I, I kind of, to me, I, I don't see the value of it. In addition, I don't really want to put coal tar on the skin and have it absorbed into an animal that I'm going to be eating the eggs from. That, to me, just seems probably not like an ideal thing. Uh, coal, mm-hmm. as we know, just like all petroleum products, have all kinds of heavy metals in them. And, you know, we've done work in California where we found, I think we've talked about this before, but just from a, a survey of, of, of backyard eggs in California, over 8% of the, of the premises of the 330-odd premises that we surveyed in a citizen science project, over 8% of them had lead levels that were above the FDA's threshold for um, lead consumption per day in children. And 1% of those 334 backyards had lead levels above the threshold, the FDA threshold for adults. So regardless, that, that's eating one egg, you know, we're already getting, you know, to, to a point daily where we don't want um, to have um, us consume that. And I know for most of us, the whole reason of having backyard chickens, um, in part, aside from their entertainment value and all those good things, is to have kind of a, a, a safe food supply. So the blue coat does not does not uh, does not definitely you know kind of check that box if you're if you're going to do that. Um, 
So um, there are the equivalents of, like, chicken e-collars. So, you know, when our dogs have to wear those cones so they don't um, irritate skin and things like that. I, I don't know how successful or unsuccessful um, they are, um, but it is something to consider. I, I, regardless of what you do, you still need to have that sick pen. Um, and, and that's very commonly, I know that's hard for, for some people, depending on the size of their backyard. But even if you can just create, you know, you know, uh, uh, the equivalent of like a, a, a little brooding ring in your garage just for a couple of days and just put some litter down, um, that, that's a way for the birds to kind of hopefully recover without um, having um, kind of being bullied by, by some of the other birds. Um, so hopefully that helps with kind of the wound management. That's a really common phone call I get, um, and, and hopefully that, that kind of provides some uh, information about that. The, the, the second thing I just want to very briefly kind of touch on again is just the whole idea of antibiotics. Um, so um, there are, I know people say, you know, broad spectrum antibiotics, and, and they're very common antibiotics in dogs and cats and humans that we use with skin infections. Um, it's very challenging in food animals. So there's very strict rules, and, and it, it, it's very complicated, even for someone that works on this stuff all the time, to know exactly what antibiotics get used and don't use. In the United States, um, you know, to the, to the credit of the poultry industry, antibiotics are not very commonly used anymore. Um, and that is um, less about regulation, in my opinion, and more about um, consumer preference. So the rules have changed. The FDA and the USDA have very specific rules on antibiotics and food animals, uh, probably as strict as anywhere else in the world, uh, including the EU. Um, there are other parts of the world that are not so strict, um, but um, it's, it's important to, to, to recognize why those rules are there. Um, they're there basically to, to any antibiotic that, that has a, um, a withdrawal period, especially in, in egg-producing pr um, animals. Um, it, it's almost like a non-starter. It's very, it's very challenging to use those, um, those, those, those products. So um, it's just important to understand if you do need an antibiotic, um, that's where you're, 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 because the way the rules are now, you need to have a relationship with your, um, your, your veterinarian. And I can tell you, so the way the rules are, the rules are that I, I can't, so if I was a, a practicing veterinarian in California or wherever it be, so I'm in academia, so it's a little different for me, but if I was treating people all the time, if I have a relationship with the, with the patient, I am, I'm going to be much more keen to kind of work with them um, because I trust them. Um, I, I know them. I've seen the animal. Legally, if I haven't seen the animal in the last year, I can't just prescribe something over the phone. Um, and, and the reality is, is that as, as, as veterinarians, you know, we want to work with our patients and we want, we want them to um, be able to treat their animals. And we want to, I, I promise you, Working with backyard birds is not a is not a money maker. So most vets are are keen to really have that that client relationship. I I know this person. I trust them. They're sending me these pictures. I'm going to prescribe you know this this antibiotic. Um. So so I, I I really would stress trying to develop that relationship as best as you can because that will pay off in spades if you can. Um, if you, if you can kind of take advantage of that and, and develop those relationships. And, and the rules are really set up for that. Um, so um, there are a handful of drugs that, that don't have withdrawal periods. 
your veterinarian knows what those are. That the big ones, you know, are are tylosin, oxytetracycline, and tetracycline. Where it gets among others, bacitracin. Where it gets really challenging, though, is that the the drugs are are meant to be distributed to birds in flocks that are thousands of birds. So when you're making like this master mix solution and then distributing it to the water, the math can be a little challenging for, for folks that, that haven't done it before because now you're trying to extrapolate from 1,000 or 10,000 birds down to like kind of like 10 birds or whatever you can do that, that makes you know, mathematical sense. So that can be a little challenging for folks, um, and it's something to kind of just be um, um, aware of um, as far as moving forward on that. Um, so those are kind of like the main things I, I really wanted to highlight. Um, I, I think that the, the, the trick is when you do have puncture wounds, for example, um, you can have a lot of bacteria that get trapped in the wound site itself. Um, when you have fractures, those are challenging things that, that, that need to go to a veterinarian. Uh, when birds are, are egg-bound, um, that's, a, that's a huge emergency, very challenging to deal with. A lot of, you know, that, that, that's something that, that requires a, a lot of extra care and unfortunately can be a little expensive. Now, in those scenarios where the bird is in pain and you believe and the veterinarian, you know, if you, if you have a veterinarian believe that, that, that there's um, potential for, for it's going to be very expensive and or um, the potential for recovery is very low, completely appropriate to consider euthanasia. Um, and, and I really wanted to kind of highlight that topic because I feel like we don't talk too much about it too much. You know, um, I'm glad – I'm glad you mentioned that, yeah. Doc, because I was going to mention a little bit earlier, but didn't want to, you know, run the people away. That, and we, it's 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 the truth, and it's and it's out there. And for some people, not all, but for some people, um, you know, that is an option of. Uh, they haven't, you know, people often say, hey, what do I need in my first aid kit? And oftentimes one of my first answers, uh, and don't take this seriously, folks, but would be an axe, uh, you know, because, and then and I, I kind of follow that up with because for some folks or for some operations or for some backyarders or whoever, you know, that that could be a uh, an option of. Uh, preventing disease spread or, oh, I've got a sick bird. How do I, should I handle this? Well, for some people it's going to be, you know, um, uh, elimination. Um, and so that is one, uh, again, viable option. I think that uh, unfortunately a lot of people um, just immediately mark off the list as no. Um, but so I'm glad you're going to go down that uh, rabbit hole, if you will, and we'll follow you with that. Uh, so I'm glad you're mentioning that because so many people, because then what happens is when they do make that decision, then they go to the forums or the pages and say, okay, I've made this decision. How do I do this? What's the most humane way or how, you know, what, what are the, my options here to do this? And some of them are kind of go back to the same issue we were talking about earlier. Well, probably the most humane way is take them to a vet and have them pay them to put them down. Uh, but as we know with poultry, food animals, there are other ways, just like we do when we're processing. So, so again, I'm glad you opened this door because for a lot of people listening, not for all, some of y'all can, oh my gosh, I can't imagine that. But for a lot of people, um, yes, that would be an option of a, a type of treatment. 
Yep, absolutely. So, so I just wanted to mention, you know, that first of all, that's okay, right? I, I think sometimes, you know, um, it, it's it's uh, there's all kinds of reasons we euthanize animals, especially food animals. Um, and um, with our birds, you know, if they if they are egg bound, the the first of all, if we get the egg out of there they're going to get egg bound again and again and again. So, so now we've got, you know, a very challenging kind of scenario to think about. If they, if they get egg bound once, they're very likely to be egg bound again. And, and now okay. we have, you know, all kinds of decisions to make. Um, and I just want to make sure that people understand that that's, that's okay. Um, and, and in, in fact, there's some, there's some advantage in it in the sense that um, if you are going to euthanize your bird or have your bird euthanized, um, make sure you get something out of it in the sense that um, at least submit it to a diagnostic lab so they can do a necropsy and figure out why it died and maybe identify um, a, a disease process that's going on that's most likely also occurring in the rest of your flock. And um, if, you can, if you can do that, then there is value to the rest of your flock. In fact, that's, that's a very common way that we figure out what's what's wrong with our flock. If I if I walk into a barn of ten thousand birds and I hear some wheezing going on, or I see bloody diarrhea, or they're not eating, I'll identify a few birds that look the sickest. We'll euthanize them. We'll open them up, and we'll bring them to a um, a diagnostic lab and see what they see. Also, so there is value in doing that. And I want to say, even if you don't have any money, it, my understanding is the diagnostic labs in California, at least. Um, if you just want your birds euthanized, they'll euthanize them for you for free. Uh, necropsies cost some money. I think it's about $20, $25 per submission. Um, so it used to be free, and they were kind of a victim of their own success. So now they, they charge a fee associated with that, and there's advantages and disadvantages of that um, that we can go into uh, another time potentially. But, but there are places that will euthanize birds for free. And I think when you're talking to your vet, um, or when you first get your birds, those are good conversations to have because euthanizing a dog or a cat, that's a, a much different procedure than euthanizing a, a chicken. Euthanizing a dog or cat has fees associated with it, disposal fees, all those type of things. Chickens, not so much. So mm -hmm. um, there are scenarios where chickens um, can literally, after they're euthanized, they can just be double bagged and put into the trash. Uh, we can't do that with 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 uh, with dogs and cats, um, especially if they have euthanasia solution um, in them. They have to be disposed differently uh, for environmental reasons, I believe. So, um, my point is 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 euthanasia is is part of the equation. It's something you need to think about. Talk to your veterinarian. Find your diagnostic lab and ask if they if they handle that. Um, as far as euthanizing birds on your own, I mean, that's, that's almost a topic for another time. Uh, sure. From a welfare perspective, I don't typically recommend it, in part because, so I typically will use what's called cervical dislocation if I'm using a, a, a handful of, mm -hmm. if I need to euthanize a handful of birds. Um, if not done correctly, that can be a welfare issue. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not, and, and unfortunately, when I'm training students, that's how they learn. So I, I want them to, to learn how to do it. And, and just like all things, um, you know, when we have to learn how to do them, there's, there's a learning curve there. It's, it's almost impossible to teach on a, on a zoom call, unless you actually feel things and, and you have someone around you. Now, um, the other way that, that, that the diagnostic labs euthanize birds is they use carbon dioxide. 
So they'll literally take a trash can. They'll have a, a tank of carbon dioxide and a hose going into the trash can. They'll place the bird or birds in there, maybe three or four at the most. They'll put the lid on and they'll turn up the CO2. Um, that is considered also humane, even though the welfare specialists will tell you that carbon dioxide is not a good choice. They should choose more inert gases like argon. But the AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, does approve cervical dislocation and does approve um, carbon dioxide um, um, kind of as, as, as a treatment. I know some people who have fiddled around with the idea of dry ice because dry ice, um, the, the vapors um, are carbon dioxide. So people have thought about like, well, what if I took dry ice and I put that in a container and I had the CO2 in there? I haven't heard really good results when people have tried that. First of all, you have to keep the bird away from the dry ice because the dry ice itself is really sticky and that you can get burns from it, obviously. So you've got to be clever in that sense. And second of all, the, the, the space that you're putting the birds in needs to be pretty small with a lot of carbon, with a lot of dry ice to get enough carbon dioxide um, to, basically, to basically kill them. Um, using hatchets and guns and things like that is not approved, not recommended. Um, I know people that, that do that, um, or at least I've, I've, I've heard reports of people that do that, and I, I would not recommend those, um, those practices. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of vets probably do do it for free or for a minimal charge, and I know for a fact like, uh, that the diagnostic labs, at least in California, will do it for free on your behalf and dispose of the birds for you. Um, and like I said before, you can, if you do dispose, if you do euthanize the birds yourself, you can double bag them and put them in the trash. Uh, if it's a small number of birds, that's completely fine. Um, once we deal with larger birds, larger numbers of birds, then we have to start thinking about um, other processing uh, or other, other landfill type options. The other thing I was going to mention really just quickly is if you sure. do have larger birds, like turkeys and things like that, Cervical dislocation, I'm not a big guy. Cervical dislocation on turkey is not trivial. Uh, ostriches, those kind of things. So all bets are off when we're moving to larger birds. And that's, that's a, 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 you know, an active area of research, believe it or not, is to try to find, you know, what are the most humane ways to, to euthanize those bigger birds? Because um, it, it is not trivial. And they're, they're big. You know, the turkey tom, mm -hmm. you know, they can be upwards of, of 40, 50 pounds, I believe. So tell me now. Uh, tell me this, because you know <laughs> we have a history here of asking the tough questions and the questions that I'm sure our listeners are thinking about. Uh, we've never done this here on our homestead ever, but when when you visualize the whether it be from a TV show or a homestead show or something like that, and you have the not the huge like split and wood axes, but you know a hatchet like you mentioned. And you you do lay that bird out on say a piece of wood, and you use the hatchet to let's just call it what it is, take the head off. Is that that's not instant kill right there? I'm trying to figure out again because if I'm thinking it, someone else is thinking it. Though we've never tried it here. When we process our birds, we basically do the laceration on one side of the neck or either um, in a killing cone uh, when we're processing our meat birds, but. Um, you know, so we've never done it, but is that, what, what's the issue with, I would think that'd be instant kill and somehow would come under a uh, humane, you, you know, euthanasia, I guess. So what, 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 what do you think, what's the, what's, what do most folks frown upon that? Yeah, I, I've got to plead ignorance on that because you're absolutely right. The kill cone is, you know, relatively quick, the, the folks that, that, that do it correctly. 
Um, right. um, and, and I think the trick with the kill cones, some people, uh, especially just newbies, have a tendency to cut the uh, trachea right. Airway, and or right. esophagus exactly. and, and not the, um, the carotid Correct. and uh, the carotid artery. Um, and that's just an angle anatomy thing that, that people learn over time. Um, and I know some people don't consider kill cones very humane. I, I think if I'm, if I'm, I, I don't know if I'm hundred percent correct on this, but my understanding is that, um, um, whole foods doesn't allow birds to be processed that way. Cause they, they consider it a interesting. too. Interesting. Yeah. I knew so, about uh, the, the cutting the airway you, and Dr. McRae, when she was here, um, she, you know, she taught me the, you know, the whole nine yards from beginning to end with processing and, and humane and that type of thing. So I, I, yeah, exactly. You, you make the mistake and cut that airway then that's going to be very stressful for the bird and then they're going to panic and, and yeah, absolutely. So that, exactly with that but i didn't like i said just the immediate removal of the uh the axe and the, and the head just boom and and the, and it's done it seems that that would be instant kill because i definitely understand because it was taught to me about you know the mistakenly of can that airway or open up that trachea and panicking the birds and things like that you don't want that to happen because you want to do it as, as humane as possible even if you're processing for food i mean um so uh now, I don't want to beat this dead horse, no pun intended, but I was just curious about that because I, I know that our other listeners are thinking, well, what's wrong? That seems to be an instant kill, too, when, you just, when you're doing that for those that process. So, um, but anyhow, hey, you know, we, I, I'm not opposed to having a, a next month when you come on continuing this. I know I've got to end here in like uh, two minutes, uh, which is normally a little bit shorter than our regular show. And normally we can even go over, but I definitely have a deadline today at 3.30. So um, we're going to need to let you go, but I'm not opposed to carrying this over for next month when you come on second Thursday of the month. I know we had to change schedule this, this week. Um, and, and do some more basic first aid and, and throw some other things in there to have maybe a part two. You think we could do that? Yeah, no, I can I can get some answers to some of those questions you were asking too by then. So that would be wonderful. And I'll, I'll go and search and see if I can get some more answers and questions about uh, episode part two. Uh, of the uh, basic first aid for chickens, and we can get into more specifics as well for maybe first aid items. Maybe we can reach out and say, hey, throw me some questions for uh, uh, Dr. Petesky about you know some basic first aid you'd like to, to hear about. And again, many of them will probably be, this needs to be definitely have veterinary care written all over it, and then, and then we can maybe touch on some other things that would be a reasonable treatment at home. So we can do that, but we'll continue that next month when you come back on, uh, Maurice, and uh, we'll just have a part two of this same topic. Okay, great. Thanks, Andy. Have a good month, everyone. That sounds great. Yeah, thank you so much. Great information today, and hopefully everybody took lots of notes, and uh, we will do that. So uh, I'll look at the calendar. The uh, Dr. Potesky is normally on the um, uh, second, Tuesday, second Thursday of every single month. Uh, we're a little early this week, I understand, because Thursday I was not going to be available, and he was gracious uh, enough to come on today in his busy schedule uh, there at UC Davis. So uh, we'll do it. We'll do a basic first aid for chickens part two, and maybe we'll get into some more specific issues in first aid and maybe a little bit of a treatment, and then he can answer the questions we had today, and I'll send them some more questions uh, that I hear from you guys. So again, just want to say thank you very much for tuning in today. We'll tune in next Thursday. Uh, we've got poultry scientist Dr. McCray that'll be on next Thursday and then I believe the Thursday after that we have poultry nutritionist Dr. Curran uh, Gehring will be on talking about more nutrition with our backyard flock so if I can get over here and find the right button I'll press it and I want to say again thank you for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer
This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.